0: Welcome back to Price Pal. This is Mike. And once again, I have the incredible Sean Wells back on the channel. Sean, this is, oh man, your fourth or fifth time here. And uh, right now it is October 30th of 2020. So happy Halloween, everyone out there. And uh, it's, it's been quite an eventful year, but we haven't had you on for a little while. So I want to give you a quick reintroduction and then see how you're doing. And then talk about today's topic, which uh, we decided we were going to talk about the mitochondria, what the mitochondria are and how to... Um, why they're important, and then if we think that they're not running well, how to optimize them for for better human health and uh, happiness and everything else. So so welcome back, Sean.
1: Thanks for having me on, Mike. love it.
0: Yeah, definitely always. And so Sean, uh, you are now, and let's just get your social media out there right out right in the right in the front, but the ingredientologist. So at ingredientologist on Instagram. And your specialist is talking, your specialty is talking a lot about various supplement ingredients, but that's definitely not, you know, the only thing you do. You are a biochemist, you are a registered dietitian, you are in several organizations and have several letters behind your name, which I have to pull up your website. But, uh, we, in our first podcast, you introduced, you introduced us to yourself and uh, gave us a lot of that. So people can always click back and talk and see the original optimizing brain, uh, optimizing brain health podcast that we did back in the day uh but if you want to like quickly talk about some of the, some of your credentials there and how you are um and you've been talking about mitochondria since a long time before a lot of other people so that's kind of why i want to bring you in here yeah
1: thanks man um yeah i have a, a lot of letters uh, <laughs> but um you know that the main thing for yeah and i was like a, a chief clinical dietitian at one point working in hospitals and nursing homes and a fellow in the International Society of Sports Nutrition, but and and I've come up through the ranks as a formulator. I've formulated over 500 products in the industry. Been called the world's greatest formulator, which is a nice um, a, a nice thing to be called, but is definitely a little um, maybe over the top. But. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a Um, a lot of formulators listening to this channel, and there was a ton of great formulators, uh, especially in different corners Mm -hmm. of the market and everything. And we're going to kind of dive into one of those corners today, which yeah, I'm excited. Yeah,
1: and but you know, most recently, I've actually been a lot less focused on formulation Mm -hmm. and more focused on creating novel ingredients, and been working with my partner Kylin at NNB, and and that's where my focus has been, and that's where a lot of my excitement. Uh, Lies is is coming out with new novel ingredients that have research, and we're working on that, like uh, getting the intellectual property around them, patents, uh, conducting the human, animal, and cell studies, uh, getting grass and toxicology. So each ingredient we're working on is is a two to three year project to go from conception to commercialization, and is anywhere from probably three hundred thousand to a million dollars in investment uh, of which Kylan is, is very, uh, gracious to, to back like a lot of my ideas. So it's, it's a very exciting time for me. And this is where I'm, I'm super passionate right now. And, and I feel like I've kind of turned a corner and, and I'm really not doing as much formulations now.
0: Right. And so, and, and just a for full disclosure, we're also doing some content work with NMB and that's where we're talking a lot. Yeah. And, um, What we, we, we eventually, we talked about ingredientology in the past where we can help other scientists help create new ingredients as well, along with yourself and, uh, co-brand them or co-patent them or whatever you got to do. But then we also went back and talked about, all right, well, who is this NMB nutrition company? Who is Kylan? And we told the NMB story. And one of the things that came up there was that this, and I'm not saying he'll never do it, but there was like no stimulants in this, um in this group of ingredients this is a everything is going for feeling good but clean energy and that's like the the main emphasis is like everything's clean energy and there's obviously a lot of sean wells (laughs) going on (laughs) behind the scenes in this so um so i want to talk about some of some of like what it takes to get clean energy because uh obviously we've seen caffeine consumption rise a ton and a lot of people are just feeling bogged down, or they, they feel they're not sleeping right. There's a zillion things going on. But at the end of the day, it seems like we have a lot of, just in general, en- energy problems. And that brings us back to the core of like what produces our energy. So um, that's where I wanted to go with this conversation.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a huge part of who I am, to your point. And, and I actually mm-hmm. have a book coming out in February called The Energy Formula. <laughs> And for me, like, and you know, tea cream and dynamine were were patents of mine with my uh, co-patent holders, uh, Dr. Tim uh, Ziegenfuss and uh, Dr. Hector Lopez. Uh, So energy is a huge focus for me, but as I've been evolving, it's less about uh, central nervous stimulation and more about uh, optimization and certainly mitochondrial health. And there is a resonant theme of these ingredients that I've been uh, working on and, and bringing to market with and through Kylin, uh, it would be that. It would be um, mitochondrial energy, working on uh, what we've talked about before is insufficient cellular energy states. Uh, that's somewhere that I've been. Like I've had autoimmune shutdown um, with Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, Epstein-Barr. Uh, you know I've had a pituitary tumor. We've talked about that. Uh, I've had just a lot of issues in my life with my health and I grew up obese and then went anorexic and then became orthorexic. And so this is part of my journey is trying to bring, uh, I mean, when I talk on podcasts and a lot of my writing, it's about love and compassion. Uh, uh for sure. I love a lot of the uh, mental and spiritual discussions too mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. when it comes to supplementation I love optimization uh, instead of you know things that are coming at a cost of your health you know like you can get muscle gain at a cost to your health you can get uh, stimulation at a cost to your health but I like working on the optimization front where you can live longer and live better you can put more, life in your years, not just, uh, years in your life. So that's, that's where my focus is. And, and certainly I think mito is the next keto. or yeah, mito is the next keto. And I really think like, this is what we're going to be focusing on because you're seeing, uh, nearly all biological aging tied into mitochondrial health and nearly all disease tied into mitochondrial health. And so it's, it's the future of health supplementation medicine fitness we're going to be talking about how are your mitochondria constantly
0: excellent and so how and so I, I think to to back everything up like how would you define what is the mitochondria Let's just first off talk about that Is this just something in my heart You know So what Yeah
1: what is No point? It's uh well kind of I mean it's it's kind of like the the heart for the cell if you will It's an mm-hmm. organelle that's that's uh, creating the energy currency for the body, adenosine triphosphate ATP. And so it does does so through this uh, mainly like the electron transport chain is maybe something you remember, but regardless the, uh, the mitochondria in the cell, you probably remember in biology seeing one, but a lot of these energy dependent cells like in the brain and especially the heart have a thousand of them, you know, like it's, there's a lot of mitochondria and specifically there's a tissue, brown adipose tissue, uh, that we've talked about before. And in, in conjunction with like, uh, grains of paradise or, or cold plunging or, or whatever, that the brown adipose tissue is highly thermogenic. And the reason that it's Brown is because it's mitochondrial dense. Uh, it has, um, it has that, that brown color because of all the mitochondria in that tissue, uh, which is just fascinating. I, you know, and you only have about, um, five, six ounces of it on your body, mostly around, um, your, your collarbone, your, your clavicles. And, um, it's there to, to give you heat thermogenesis. And also possibly it could be one of the ways that we have like Uh, metabolic advantages, certain people, like they have this tissue, uh, they have more of that tissue, and they also have it more active. Uh, We see that with people that are just, you know, highly thermogenic, they have like warm bodies, they have higher, you know, body temperature, they just can crank through food and stay thin. I mean, maybe that's you, actually, Mike,
0: (laughs) maybe you have
1: more brown adipose tissue. But um, you know, that's an, that's a really interesting one. And like I said, like grains of paradise, is one that we know that can enhance brown adipose tissue activity and doing cold plunges, uh, is something that we've seen that enhances the, the activity and number potentially.
0: Okay, cool. So to back it up even more, like these mitochondria, do they take the calories I eat and turn it into this ATP, the, which we kind of call the energy currency or, um, it does it all, when we eat like did we take that food and just turn it into energy or is there more like quote unquote magic happening behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's what it is. Like we're we're using uh, carbohydrate and if you remember like the, uh, the citric acid cycle, Krebs cycle, the tricarboxylic acids, it's all the same thing. Um, but that's it's that crank. Um, and you're you're taking electrons and and then it goes into the electron transport chain and and you are creating that, uh, that energy currency, the ATP, that you're kicking out of this, this cycle, um, you can do that with, uh, with fatty acids, you can do that with uh, carbohydrate, glucose, um, and you can do that with ketones. And like, ketones um, really are interesting to me because like, with people like me that have metabolic dysfunction, Uh, that we're obese, that we're insulin resistant, we're uh, metabolically dysfunctional, that it bypasses some of the issues at the secondary complex of the electron transport chain um, that can cause those insufficient cellular energy states. And so ketones is like the reason why like people like have that sometimes boom of clarity of energy That it's not necessarily the same from person to person, but I think the more dysfunctional you are metabolically, the more it can like provide clarity because you're just, you're insulin resistant. And so therefore you're glucose intolerant and not taking that energy into the cell and and turning it around uh, for ATP as well. So that's where like ketones can come in and, and really provide that spark.
0: Right, and that's what's so cool about humans and our evolution and our biology is that we can handle multiple fuel sources. And yeah. even though many of us are uh, quote unquote sugar burners, we don't need to be sugar burners. We have plenty of fat on our bodies and we can get fat in the diet that we can also eventually turn into this energy. And, um, and, and so that, that's what's exciting is that these, these mitochondria, these powerhouse cells, we call it the, the powerhouses of the cells because they are creating the energy tokens um, known as ATP, but they uh, they're able to, to to function with various sources of of food and like uh, energy substrate. so it's not just that we have to have we have to eat this one thing, but we can instead survive as Eskimos up with only you know whale blubber and stuff like that. We can yeah. mm-hmm. survive in the tropics as humans uh, eating tons of bananas like so there's it's really cool that the same human body can take in these different energy sources. And, um, so, so that's how-
1: that metabolic flexibility, Mike. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: And that's, 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 what I love. And, you know, it, it, some people though seem to do better with one or the other, or, you know, it's, yeah. it's great to be flexible and do be able to handle both. Um, now, so for someone listening to this, like it sounds cool. Like I would love to have like a little, uh, meter that shows me how good are my mitochondria running in general? Like, so yeah. how do I tell if my mitochondria are healthy or not? How do I tell if I'm uh metabolically dysfunctional, like you said, or have you know some of these uh some of these quote words like uh, like insufficient cellular energy, which we could talk about a little bit more yeah. but how do i how can I gauge if I think my mitochondria are running okay?
1: I have a simple way i'm uh actually talking to a friend of mine that's that runs this company called Mycon that's working on a very advanced testing with humans that actually can can freeze uh, your sample and then look at it at a lab and get back to you the results of how your mitochondria are functioning.
0: Would would it be a tissue sample or a blood sample?
1: It's a swab actually Uh, and it's really interesting. It's not out yet. You can look up Mycon. It might be Be Mycon Health but M-Y-C-H-O-N uh, really, uh, really interesting. A lot of funding. A lot of uh, really breakthrough technologies. I haven't tried it yet, but he's uh, arranging something with me. But I have something that I've been talking about for years that I feel like is a simple way to get like a one-off gauge of yeah. That's it.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm your health and that, your to do a screen share. Was that?
1: Yeah, that's that idea of healthspan versus lifespan that he's talking about. That's that's putting more life in your years than years in your life, right? Like Right, so, I was gonna
0: say that, that word lifespan is what's what's yeah, important here.
1: Yeah, well, health span here, yeah, health span. So it's like oh, well, right. not just <laughs> living longer, <laughs> right. but like, I being that. healthier during your life, yeah. yeah and so also uh, for me, like the, the one-off uh, that I think is a lot simpler that I think everyone should be using is when you are in these insufficient cellular energy states, you are getting into uh, three big issues of damage to your body. And none of these are problematic acutely. They can actually be quite helpful in, in signaling and the body working correctly. It's when we get into these chronic situations that it's a problem. Just like when we're chronically in the sympathetic nervous system state, it's a problem. It's okay to be sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight sometimes. And it's okay to be rest and digest parasympathetic other times. It's meant to be kind of that yin and yang balance, but we're like, you know, grinding, 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 ultra sympathetic. And that's when it's a problem. And that's when we get breakdown in our bodies and we're have cortisol elevated all the time. And it's very similar with these three things. We have oxidation. You're kicking off lots of free radicals uh, with uh, improper uh, efficiency of the mitochondria, either through the mitochondria functioning very well or a way you can gain efficiency is to have more mitochondria around, which is mitochondrial biogenesis. Um, And then uh, besides oxidation, there's inflammation and that is causing damage to the tissues. And again, inflammation can be good with like an immune response or after a workout or, you know, it's a good signal. It's, it's things working correctly and that's okay. But chronic inflammation is not. And, you know, you've talked about things like the seed oils and, uh, all these things that can,
0: oh, go in there, yeah,
1: yeah, that can cause chronic inflammation. These ultra-processed oils, these ultra-processed foods with all the sugar, et cetera, et cetera, without the fiber, without the resistant starches. It's very different when you eat whole food versus ultra-processed food. But going on to the third one, it's um, glycation, blood sugar damage. So from blood sugar hanging around too long and insulin staying elevated too long, we have problems. So you, one of the, really one of the best markers that you could probably see first is fasting insulin, but it's a little bit more complicated, a little bit more expensive. For me, like the, the, the best three, like my hallmark three, if I was to kind of put together a mitochondrial health gauge and then tell you your uh, biological age versus your chronological age and tell you your likelihood of getting nearly every disease associated with metabolic dysfunction, and therefore mitochondrial dysfunction would be uh, hemoglobin A1C looking at glycation, um, CRPC reactive protein, looking at inflammation and oxidized LDL looking at oxidation. I'd add probably a couple more labs in there too, like to look at overall health. I think vitamin D is, is critical, especially now with with the immune system and and the whole hormonal milieu. Uh, Lipoprotein A I think is, probably like a big gun. I don't like cholesterol. They've actually shown in numerous, numerous, numerous studies. The higher cholesterol, the longer life. Period yep. at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: LDL is not the bad cholesterol. All this stuff is so wrong. It's so frustrating. The very small, very dense cholesterol uh, of LDL is bad, but there's also a large fluffy LDL. Um, so you know looking at lipoprotein A is, is a great uh, thing to look at on that front. But So looking at these, I I guess yeah. To to
0: interrupt, I I I think with the lipid panel though, I wouldn't discredit discredit the whole thing. If you're going to look at oxidized LDL, I think the triglyceride and the HDL ratio is very an easy, cheap one to look at too, and it's going to come along for the ride with these lipid panels. So you're going to see that, and I I kind of consider the HDL be a HDL to be a super simple report card. Not sure in terms of um, mitochondrial health, but in terms of the greater picture, if you have a high HDL, low LDL, or if you have a high HDL, low triglycerides, your LDL is basically. Yeah. And that's really, yeah. Yeah.
1: My, my biggest issue is, is the LDL demonization. Exactly. Yes. That's that's the biggest thing. And, and trying to get a total cholesterol as low as possible. And, Mm -hmm. And that's just, those are just ridiculous and okay. you do end up with mitochondrial dysfunction. You do end up with CoQ10 depletion. Um, and then that can cause muscle cramps, spasms, and then even worse, you know, uh, worse in heart health. So we're seeing like, you know, things like these statins, uh, have higher mortality rates than lower mortality rates. And it's just, it's absurd. So yeah, I totally get what you're getting at. I, you can do a deeper dive into, um, uh, your cholesterol by looking at a VAP or NMR test. And then you mm-hmm. can see all the different uh, particles, chylomicrons, et cetera. So that's a good way to look at that. And I love triglycerides as a marker too. That would be in my top 10. Uh, right. but oh, going, so- yeah, going back to those three, the, gla- the glycation, inflammation, oxidation, I think that would give you a great snapshot. And typically, we're not looking at those until after you've had a heart attack with CRP, after you've had type two diabetes or hemoglobin A1C. So it's frustrating to me that like, we could use some simple labs that maybe are 100, 150 bucks. We could look at them twice a year and yep. we could reshape medicine by saying like, yep, you know, here's your biological age. Here's how your mitochondria are approximately functioning. Here's your risk for disease. You, know, you need to start looking at this. You need to start making some changes uh, to your lifestyle you know, de-stressing, eating a healthier diet, getting some exercise in, et cetera, et cetera, that you can age better. And we're just not looking at these.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I I, I no uh business con- no business whatever conflict here. Uh, I go to requestatest.com. That's where I get my labs. And you order the labs, have them sent to your nearby uh either Lab Corp or Quest Diagnostics, have a scheduled appointment there. It really couldn't be easier. And it's not that expensive i mean it, yeah it is money um and you can get out of control and you can have them draw a lot of vials of blood but you can get away with yeah these three or four important ones for around uh, yeah i'd say under 150 dollars and you could um you know the metabolic panels and lipid panels are super cheap at this point so yeah Easy. add a little yeah. bit more to the for the crp add a little bit more um if you wanted to get an extreme uh, oh yeah so add in a little bit more for the a1c if that's not already added and then you already have pretty much a lot of the most important things there. Um, and it's good to see. So, I, I, but going back even further, like, can you feel like, it, is there a feel like I'm, I'm guessing that if you have a high A1C, a high CRP and a lot of like damage from oxidized LDL, cholesterol, whatever. Um, a lot of oxidation in general, I'd be feeling you're just going to feel crummy. Like people out there are listening, you might not even need to have a test to know that maybe like things aren't running optimally. Like, is there just a good litmus test of like, I don't know, like the funk in bed or something like that?
1: No, you're, you're spot on. I mean, uh, cellular energy translates into life energy, like what we call energy or vitality or whatever, the more cellular energy you have, the more efficiently you're running with that cellular energy, having more mitochondria around, having the mitochondria be healthy, uh, you know having good transport processes to to take energy into the mitochondria the you know with the um, uh, like carnitine shuttle, you know things like that, if everything's running properly, then you will feel more life energy
0: mm-hmm. agreed, yeah, so my, my simple litmus test for me personally is being uh, uh, being to keep being able to keep up my daughter, my uh, toddler daughter. And there's days where if, if I eat like junk for a week or so, um, which happens it's Halloween, I'm sneaking a candy here or there, you know, um, at some point I get to the point where I am not like wanting to like, we do a lot of bear crawling and wanting to get down and chase and run around and get out of bed and read early and all that good stuff that you're supposed to do. Um, and when I am eating my, my personal optimal diet and taking my personal optimal supplement stack, I'm running circles around her. So it's like there, there is a fine difference. And I can tell it's like I, I'm there, but I'm not as much there. I'm like in bed a little bit longer. And I'm not the kind of person who typically uh, lays in bed. Like my wife will sit there for 10 hours planning her day. And I'm just, I just go and get up usually. Um, so when for me, like, you know, there, I, I can could, I could kind of tell when things aren't optimal, just by like the get up and go. And if I'm willing to like get down a bear crawl with a daughter, then that's that's good. If I'm like, for whatever reason, like, eh, you know, like being a little, you know what, then it's time to like start thinking about like, how is my sleep performance? Have I been training hard enough? And what am I eating? And in terms of, uh, so yeah, two of the things we really haven't talked about with mitochondria are sleep and the training. Is there anything you wanna quickly touch on there?
1: Uh, Yeah. So actually it's been shown that you are insulin resistant when you don't get enough sleep, as little as just six hours will put you in a state of insulin resistance acutely. And so if you're doing this on a chronic basis with chronic sleep deprivation, you're putting yourself into type two diabetes. And that's what you see uh, again, like when someone's just sleeping as little as, as six hours a night or worse, that they're putting themselves at higher risk for coronary heart disease, for type two diabetes, for mm-hmm. insulin resistance. And so you literally, uh, have less energy. Um, your synapses fire more slowly when you don't get enough sleep. So that brain fog you're feeling is real and your desire to grab sugar and caffeine and, and compensate is real. Oh, yeah. So that's why it's important to get enough sleep and have that restorative, uh, health. And you're also, you know, in sleep doing, uh, detoxification and, and autophagy, um, you know, which you do also get from things like fasting and exercise, uh, people just think it somehow is only associated with fasting, but it's associated with, with sleep and exercise as well. And it's important to have that restorative time. That's like, just like I was saying before, like in the autonomic nervous system, like that rest and digest mm-hmm. needs to be balanced with the fight or flight, um, you know, so that you can uh, be, it's, here's another example, like with, you know, you mentioned uh, training and exercise is that sometimes you can exercise too much and you're not just overtrained, you're under-recovered. That's the other yeah. term you know, right. that, that we're talking about. Like, like you could maybe double your training, but you would need to markedly change your eating and sleeping mm-hmm.
0: to compensate
1: for that and in hydration and other things. So it's, it's, you can look at it as, as under recovered. And so we need, we need to have some balance and you know, sleep uh, certainly is a big component of that. And so I'm a big fan of sleep hygiene, of keeping up with your circadian rhythm, and having consistent sleep and wake times for your sleep and wake cycle. Otherwise you have something called like social jet lag where, where you are going to sleep, let's say like during the week at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. But on the weekend, you, you know stay up till one or two or three in the morning. This is literally like flying to Europe mm-hmm. and, and then you're expecting your body to work well. But again, you're in a state of brain fog. You're in a state of insulin resistance and this is something that you're doing to yourself chronically on a, a weekend basis, it's not healthy. Um, they've shown that like shift shift work displacement, like where you're working a night shift, people can live 30% less long. That's, it's a dramatic impact on your circadian rhythm. So all this stuff is affecting your ability to create energy efficiently. So if you work with your circadian rhythm, if you work with your biology, if you give yourself rest time, if you nourish yourself, then you can allow for efficient mitochondrial cellular uh, energy.
0: Gotcha. And uh, funny enough though, I think tomorrow night or the night after is going to (laughs) be daylight savings time, of course, everyone's favorite, I swear. Someday I'm gonna run for political office, and my one—I'm just gonna run on one. Get thing. rid of it. Yeah. Just one thing—that's all I have to say. Yeah. No, savings. On, <laughs> on that. There's
1: data on that. There's data on greater motor vehicle accidents. Oh as yeah. A of that change, there's uh, greater mortality risk. Surgery?
0: Um, I wouldn't uh, want to touch a surgeon. Like. Yeah. If, if yeah I, exactly. Know. So what um, do you have a quick like life hack for? What, how are you approaching daily savings?
1: You know, you can start changing ahead of time, the time you get up or go to sleep in relation to it to help yourself adjust so it's not as abrupt. Uh, You can play with things like, uh, you know, a sleep mask or or, you know, blue light exposure in the morning, depending on which side of this you're on. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, you can do some hacks where it's not as as abrupt and you can kind of plan ahead. And then also those, you know, maybe that first week, you also don't do anything that's too mentally intensive to your point, like a surgery, I, I, I agree. I certainly wouldn't want to have a surgery on November 1st or something, so.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. um, okay, know, cool. That,
1: that is something that you can look at for sure. Yeah. Yeah,
0: thank you, awesome. So uh, back to the mitochondria. Um, yeah, the one thing I, I noticed for me personally, and obviously I don't have the mitochondrial swab or anything, but I am, I, I like training in the morning. 9am like sometime before 10am seems to be my best but um high intensity interval training for me like if i don't get uh, if i don't get going hard for at least like just 5 minutes and it's not 5 minutes straight of 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 hit training it's just even just like 5 cycles on 1 minute um things aren't just don't seem as good like the the high intensity interval training the 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 sprint setup even if it's just a little bit really it seems like just alter my day. So that's like the one thing where I can just kind of tell things are firing better after I do it. Of course, the first few minutes right after it kind of suck, but then like once you've recovered and everything, um, that that's that's a big one for me. But
1: yeah, um, so that's that's mitochondrial uh, hormesis or mitohormesis. I mean that that's ideal. Like when you're when you're challenging your body with the right level of adversity, it's staying in. If you look at like a bell curve. Kind of that center area would be the ideal amount of hormesis, which we, we call U-stress in that stress bucket called allostatic load. And if you're on either tail of that bell curve, it's either not enough stress. So think low intensity, steady state exercise, is running on a treadmill at the same rate, <laughs> or, or there is an area of too much stress of distress. That would be like your, your overtraining of like trying to do high intensity interval training for hours,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So like that, that idea of, um, causing the right amount of stress, you stress in that Goldilocks zone of the bell curve, uh, is ideal to get adaptation to happen. And when you're training at like 90, 95, hundred percent of your maximum capacity, uh, for a short period of time then that's where adaptation happens when you're training, you know, just you're getting exercise in and moving your body, but it's steady state kind of stuff. You're not really getting adaptation. And that's why you don't see performance changes with just running on the treadmill, right? You see yeah. kind of like, Hey, he's good at running on the treadmill, but you see changes in body composition changes in metabolic machinery happening at that kind of more uh, extreme level, closer to, to like your your fullest threshold, if you will, of performance. So right, that's right. where that high intensity interval training is very logical.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely, and, and one thing I like to emphasize, and this, this will be disputed, but I think there's a lot of research behind it, is that exercise does not necessarily equate to weight loss because mm-hmm. exercising increases your appetite. You could actually slingshot in the wrong direction um, and there's plenty of people that you see on the treadmill all the time, not losing any weight necessarily. I think dietary choices, um, you know, attacking satiety are going to help, uh, with weight loss, far more down the line than exercise, but exercise has to do with general health. And that kind of leads us into like, um, the first of a, of a bunch of ingredients we could talk to, cause you are the ingredientologist, of course, but there's one ingredient that we produce with our own, with our own muscles and it's baba, El baba, mm. And this is, um, an amino acid, but it's really more of a signal than an amino acid. And this signal pretty much lets the rest of your body know. We have a whole video talking about this, but it lets your body know that yo, exercise is happening. Like, start running these programs, start doing this, start uh, oxidizing more fat, start protecting the bone and muscle tissue, and there's all these different things that happen. And to me, it just seems like it seems like it, it and I don't have any evidence for this, but it seems like it activates harder when you train the high intensity interval training style um so one of the ingredients i do love is mito burn from nmb nutrition and the baba because it does seem like when i do do the, the low intensity steady state tile ty- type of exercise it does seem to like make it happen a little faster and give it like kick it up a notch without having to do the stimulant set stuff which of course i am not a, afraid of stimulants but i've uh I've cycled down on my stems a lot in the last month and I, I, I was getting bad for a second. Let's just put it that way. So, um, I'm back down to like I can handle just two cups of coffee in a day and I'm happy and I, that's where I like it. So you start to feel these supplements as we're testing some of these are supplements and the mito burn Elbeba is one that it turns the lower intensity steady state training into something more for me personally. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if you, uh, uh, I don't know if you
1: yeah. have anything to add there, about yeah, no, that, that, that's I totally agree. It, it's a really like one of those um, miracle ingredients that's you know <laughs> that like word, it's, but yeah. it's almost too too good to be true, and like how can this be associated with all these things? It's because like you said, it's a signal for intense ex exercise. So therefore. You know we have data on it. You know, in enhancing autophagy, enhancing uh, lean body mass, reducing fat mass, helping with um, you know fuel utilization and glycogen storage, and uh, improving uh, bone mass, improving like um, a lot of the the different processes that are that are improving VO2 max and you know all this stuff. It's it's just crazy. Like it it just literally seems like this is ridiculous to almost make these claims, but it's, it's because it's the signal for intense exercise. And like you said, it could augment, I like to think about it as an exercise yeah. augmenter, uh, your exercise so that your body sees it as we're working out even harder than he actually is. Like it, it's like you getting extra reps or extra steps out of, out of each workout. So yeah, it's a really cool ingredient.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, uh- I I definitely I use it pre workout, and the reason I am doing some low intensity uh, steady state exercises because I'm doing a 5k turkey trot, and I am (laughs) not very good of a runner. (laughs) Always been a swimmer, so anyway, I've tried to do better. But uh, but
1: there are some studies, Mike, by the way, that actually showed with runners that they had uh, improved running performance, even long distance, when they were working on sprints.
0: Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, you're only going to get so much out of the running the same pace over and over and over. You just become really good at running that same pace. And sometimes you kind of need to shock your, your body into like thinking that it's like running for its life and then that that's going to promote change and everything. So, um, what else can we do? Like, so supplementally, so, so yeah, we generate this baby, but it's pretty cool to supplement more, uh, and that's one of my, one of my favorite unique novel ingredients, how we, that's how we first started talking with NMB because we wrote about it a long time ago. And finally, we finally got a stable form of it out there. So really excited about that. What else can we do? Um, I'll, you know, and so I, I want to back up first before, and you mentioned it earlier on, but like, but yeah, so removing like the ultra processed foods, I think is going to do so many magnitudes more for mitochondrial health. Because you'd start to look at what, you kind of have to walk into it backwards because the study's not, no one's gonna, you know, the, the food makers aren't gonna publish this study or whatever, but you start seeing the people who are eating all these processed foods have all these conditions and all these conditions are all surrounding with metabolic dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction, insufficient cellular energy. I, I don't know if we have like a smoking gun in one study that says like, oh, soybean oil is going to make you um, have insufficient cellular energy, but we have the mechanism. We have the epidemi- epi- epidemiology because we're just watching what's happening in, in America as we've added more and more of these processed and ultra processed foods. And we have, um, and we have the results. So to me, it does make sense. I don't I just don't know if there's a smoking gun study, but anyway, the more processed foods we eat, the worse we, we ultimately feel the more we keep eating for various reasons. And then, um, the, the, the more dysfunctional we become, and then all of the the blood work that you're talking about also goes downhill or kind of in a way uphill, depending on what numbers you're talking about. So to me, before we talk about any ingredients, I just want to disclaim that like, you know, if you're eating a lot of garbage in the center of the grocery store, or if you're, uh, you know, eating out all the time and they're frying it in ten week old oil, that's going to do a, you know, getting rid of that from your diet is going to do a lot more than you know adding some. And I love Mito Burn, but it, it you know, getting rid of the ten uh, week old oil in your French fry fryer is going to do a lot more than adding adding Mito Burn to that pig. You know, so mm-hmm. that's my that's my disclaimer, but let's say we start cleaning up and we stop eating processed foods. We start cooking for ourselves. Cause what else have we been doing for the last six months? Anyway, rant, <laughs> I'm getting going here, but if you have not figured out how to cook a little bit better over these last six months, I don't know what you've been doing because you, you can't be sitting there ordering phone on your app all day long. It's too expensive and you don't know what they're putting in it. And that food is not going to be as clean as what you can cook with traditional foods yourself. Bring back the saturated fat. So anyway, um, So you start doing that. You start cooking for yourself. You start, uh, when you are healthy enough to do so, you start exercising more and hopefully a little bit more, um, intensely when it's healthy and when your joints can handle it and everything, when you have less inflammation, what can we add now that we're starting to clean things up and we're stopping the, uh, the soybean oil madness. What else can we, what else can we do?
1: Well, I think, uh, like you're saying, eating eating whole food, paleo, call it whole thirty, whatever you want, just getting back to whole food and and avoiding ultra processed food, which not only has those oils that you're talking about, but also high amounts of sugars and and Mm -hmm. processed sugars and artificial sweeteners and flavors and colors and hormones and antibiotics and um, and then these high bliss point foods that trigger dopamine and serotonin and you know that have like you know, sweetness, and saltiness, and crunchiness, and softness, and gooey, and like, it's literally like you're having brain gasms, and they work on that. <laughs> they, they literally engineer foods around that, so that once you pop, you can't stop, or
0: Yeah, and a little protein to on top pump. of
1: that. Yeah, so, exactly. So, I mean, that's, you know, getting into the whole foods, and, and eating the diets that we were meant to eat, you know, whether it's vegan or carnivore, I don't really care. Like as long as you construct it well, it's about eating whole foods. Uh, and that's a very important step. And then definitely removing sugar as a part of that is, is a big thing. Like it's just, it's too pervasive. It's, it's in so many forms. It's in all of our foods. It's, it's in foods that you wouldn't think it's in. It's certainly in all this, you know, uh, syrups and sauces and, mm-hmm it's just, it's just super pervasive and it's making us addicted. It's our brain reacts very similarly as it does to cocaine and we can't stop. And there's a reason it's in that, you know, compulsory, compulsory area of like, of uh, like, you know, the front of the gas station, you know, by the register, we, we make these impulse decisions and just, you know, eat these things and, and we feel guilty and we feel bad about it and we have shame around it. But why are we so driven to have it? I mean, think about that. And it's because they've been engineered that way. It's because we're sleepy and we don't have enough cellular energy. So we go back to like impaired decision making. You know, it's much harder. It takes more energy to make new decisions, to make these healthier decisions than to fall back on your bad decisions, like the yeah. kind of your, your, what you're comfortable with. So I mean, that happens when we're tired. And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll buy the, you know, the energy drinks and the candy and the, you know, the, the coffee with the sugar and creamer and the honey buns and all the things that people are doing every day. And if you look around the convenience stores, it's, it's literally built around addiction with, with caffeine, with sugar, with porn, with lottery, with smoking with you know all this stuff i mean it's it's your addiction central and it's very hard to do anything healthy in there because they're they're banking on impulse in there so it's just something to be mindful of is is removing those kinds of things the the impulse and the addiction and the sugar and the processed foods and getting back to more rational healthy decision making
0: yeah one thing i recommend to people this is a semi bad recommendation, but to the scientist type of people out there it is the good part of the recommendation, get a constant glucose monitor, whichever way you can. If It's still kind of prescription based, but it's become easier to get them. And, but keep your diet the same for a few days. And notice when you eat that junk, you're going to, you're going to feel good. It feels good. They designed it to feel great. They, they hit like seven different <laughs> receptors to, um, to slam you one way or the other. And and your blood sugar is going to go up, but when the blood sugar is on its way down, that's when I notice the anxiety and the cravings happen. The, and the ride down, and if you, especially if you don't like mask the ride down with more caffeine or more sugar to like keep it up, the ride down is never worth the ride up. And I, I definitely believe that um, a lot of the people quote unquote anxiety out there is simply just caused by just a a disruptive diet where there's up and down, up and down. Like you're on a roller coaster and you're not sure if you're lacking sleep. If you like, if you need a nap, you're not sure if you need more sugar, you're not sure if you need more caffeine. It's like, you don't know which, which addiction to manage here. And, and I I catch myself going into that, um, issue as well. And so like a constant glucose monitor, will tell you, like when you're on your way down, it's not worth it. It's, It's like, it's way more, it's way better just to be even keel and keep the sugar down. And, uh, yeah. and like the carbohydrate load in general, although, you know, I, I, do often like, like post-workout carbs when your body can suck them up, but just the up and down, up and down, up and down, starting from 8.00 AM all the way through like 11.00 PM. It's just, it's a sabotage, self-sabotage. So constant glucose monitor shows you all that stuff. And, um, at some point your cells just stop responding as well. And, and then you mix in a little bit of fat with the, those, those fats in there and that fat's going straight to storage. So that's, uh. No, Go got a little bit got a little bit off topic there. but yeah, that's that's one of the things I definitely recommend to someone who's really trying to to figure this out.
1: Agreed, agreed. And when you're kind of going down, uh, that's when you feel hypoglycemic. I mean, I would have patients that had 600s that were going down to a 300 and they'd be having like a hypoglycemic uh, scenario happen. Jeez, really? They could look very ill, but if you didn't know what their baseline was, you would think 300, let's give them glucagon um, instead of giving them, uh, sorry, let's give them uh, insulin. Mm -hmm. Instead, they need glucagon um, to actually uh, raise their blood sugar. You have to know where the baseline is. But when people are dropping, that's, you know, especially when they're dropping quickly, like it it feels like a hypoglycemic reaction. Mm -hmm. It's also triggering things like uh, different uh, hormone uh, hunger signals uh, that, that make you want to eat and, and yes, have you like hangry and crabby and anxious and, and all those things. So it's definitely something you yeah, to be mindful of as that roller coaster and definitely you feel better if you can flatten that roller coaster out of, of blood glucose. And then, you know, with the CGM that you're talking about, you could also look at the differences of being well rested versus yeah. not well rested and how that differs on the same food. That you think is you know your body's going to react to the same way but uh, when you're impaired with glucose uh tolerance and and insulin sensitivity uh you're not reacting to those carbohydrates uh, the same way
0: definitely and one thing that a lot of us have noticed too and this isn't universal but um when you eat too late in the day the next day is just a mess like if i have mm-hmm. 11 p.m snack you can say what you want like calories and calories out all that <laughs> when the blood sugar is a mess the next day and your, your blood sugar is constantly elevated, I honestly don't think you're going to burn a drop of fat or not much at all com- because your body's um, got to prioritize getting rid of this sugar, which is basically toxic. So um, just crazy things happen when you're, when you, even when you snack too late, or at least for me and a few other people that I've talked to about this. So yeah, really cool things that you could you could learn there. Um, with respect to the ingredients and blood sugar, we have to, of course, bring up glucovantage, which is also uh, my favorite form of berberine known as dihydroberberine. And that's definitely one, one great way to kind of flatten that blood sugar, uh, that blood sugar roller coaster. Obviously, you still, you know, it's, it's, it's smart not to eat sugar all day long, but I do, uh, but when using it, I, I prefer not to eat junk without at least a little bit of berberine or dihydroberberine in me. So we've had, we've had pretty good discussions on that as well. Is there any connection between the berberine and the, Uh, mitochondria specifically?
1: Well, there's, it's a glucose disposal agent, uh, and helps remove a glucose, uh, from, you know, just hanging around too long and, and helps it potentially to be utilized as fuel or more likely to be stored as glycogen, uh, than just, you know, hanging around and keeping insulin elevated. And, you know, that's the way that it's a, um, um, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on the term. It's, uh, it's, it enhances like the, you know, less fat tissue, more muscle, uh, mm-hmm. uh kind of scenario with, um, uh, nutrient partitioning. I couldn't think of that yeah, term,
0: no, sorry. Yeah. um,
1: but that's associated with things like berberine, metformin, et cetera, that are glucose disposal agents and work on AMPK. But beyond that, uh, it has been seen as mitoformesis uh, impact. So uh, it does cause the mitochondria a little bit of stress, and that's been misinterpreted in the past that metformin or things like berberine might actually have a negative impact on aging for that reason. But we've seen studies with metformin where people are living uh, two years longer just from that, and berberine outperforms metformin head-to-head. Um, and then diadroberberine is about five times more bioavailable than even uh, berberine. So, you know, when taken in the right dose and taken in the right way, uh, you should expect that it would improve longevity, improve mitochondrial function. And that's what we're seeing. And, and it's really exciting because there's there are very few compounds that, that are like that for this reason, it's the number one thing I recommend in terms of longevity and health. I don't know anything that impacts health to that degree. Like there's a lot of stuff I take for health reasons, but if I, I was just to say, be on one thing, it would probably be that.
0: Yeah. dihydroberberine is insane. Like, um, I, I have trouble. I can't take the, the, the full, like quote unquote recommended dose because I almost, I need to eat so much food. It makes me just it just makes me like suck down all, all sorts of everything. And, um, and if I was like in a bulking type phase, adding that in is, is seems to be protective, but it also almost makes it like expensive because I have to eat that much more food. And uh, it, it, I, I do think that it, it's a fascinating ingredient and uh, have, and love it. So yeah, typically I'm at a total of 200 milligrams per day and I'm pretty good with that, but yeah, I'll sneak some in. If I know I'm about to like, you know, go read the Halloween candy or something then, um, which is going to be a one day affair this year. It's going to, uh, yeah, dihydroburgrin and glucovanage are definitely going to be rearing their heads. One ingredient we haven't talked about um, yet here is the form of the curcumin metabolite known as tetrahydrocurcumin. And one of the things that we saw is like, this is, well, it is an anti-inflammatory, type of ingredient that, uh, seems to be beneficial for like things like joint pain and all that. Um, but it hits a few different pathways differently or harder than curcumin itself. And a lot of those seem to be like the anti-diabetic mitochondrial friendly pathways as well. So we, we recently started tinkering with that. And, um, I think that's like, uh, to me, the, the one underrated type of like multi-purpose joint supplement ish ingredient that I think might have a play here that, that, we're definitely going to explore a little bit more um but yeah like if i were going to formulate my my perfect joint supplement which maybe at some point we should do like a formulators corner and kind of like make some joke supplements up or not joke but like you know make up some new supplements um i would do a a a stack of this tetrahydrocurcumin which is known as uh, curcupine from nmb nutrition alongside of a a solid uh standard curcumin supplement um, maybe a curcumin or something like that. And, um, and stack them to get the best of both worlds. But there seems to be a, a blood sugar lowering impact from this form of curcumin, maybe not as much as, as glucovanage or dihydroberberine, but there definitely seems to be something there. And one thing I'm noticing is that when I, and there's a little bit of a compound, cause I'm drinking alongside my coffee, but when I drink it alongside my coffee, I do seem to be a little bit more uppity. And, um, and there might be a little bit of a nootropic effect from that as well. Yeah. So that, that, that's one ingredient that I'm thinking, like all these things are surrounding the mitochondria and there might be a yep. little bit of a play there.
1: Yeah, and dehydrozingerone as well uh, could yep. be complementary on that front. It's in that um, ginger pathway as a ginger metabolite, but it also mm-hmm. is very chemically similar to, uh, to curcume, curcumin as well and it's kind of in that family of the, the tetrahydrocurcumin and, and curcuminoids. And, and so, yeah, we're seeing that that's Zinja burn and, and tetrahydrocurcumin is, is curcupine, like you said, that those have powerful antioxidant effects, have um, also mitochondrial uh, function uh, enhancements uh, through and, and reduction of inflammation uh, a number of these, these pathways that we're seeing, like you said, uh, it's, they're, they're amazing compounds. Those would be atop my list as well. I mean, because they're affecting, again, those things that I was talking about, like oxidation, inflammation, glycation, and then mitochondrial health. And so when you can knock out some of those uh, issues, that's when you're feeling more cellular energy, you're improving with your resiliency and your health response and having a better health span than lifespan uh, is by approaching those things. Um, and that's that's kind of like the difference with how I'm supplementing now. Like it used to be like muscle at any cost, performance at any cost. And now I'm thinking about optimization and longevity. And I think it's just that that stage I'm at in my life. But mm-hmm. I am seeing that these things that improve our, our health span and our lifespan, like really do uh, improve quality of life. And, and we really do have more, uh, energy for life when we have more cellular energy. And when we remove some of these things that are uh, problematic with the machinery of our bodies that are dunking us up, it's like getting an oil change or something when you're getting rid of the inflammation, oxidation and glycation, that now you're, you know, you're running optimally and the mitochondria can, you know, work more efficiently and they're not having to work so hard in a damaged state to produce that energy that you need.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now let's say that you were an obese person and I've heard, I've heard this a lot is you begin to take on a, a healthier low processed foods diet. So it's going to be lower in the, in like the seed oils, lower in the linoleic acid, but you have a lot of this, um, this stuff like stored up in your body fat. I'm, I'm talking a lot about linoleic acid, which is one of the uh, inflammatory omega-6 fatty acids that's in those seed oils I've been talking about. Um, eventually you got to burn that off. And a lot of people, they begin doing the fasting and everything like that. And that accelerates the fat burning, uh, as they start to become like ketogenic towards the end of their fast and everything. And I'm talking about like an intermittent daily type of fast. Um, but sometimes they start feeling bad about, it. you know, they start feeling bad because, and I, I, I theorize it's because they're putting off, they're burning off a lot of this stored fat that is not the healthiest of tissue, and so mm-hmm. one of my one of my ideas is that some of these anti inflammatories, um, such as a tetrahydrocurcumin, could be protective, and we've seen some studies between two of the N and B ingredients, so there's a ginger burn, the dehydrozingerone, and um, otherwise known as mitoprime. And that that's not out there in, in any supplements that I know of right now. Uh, but they both are able to prevent some of the oxidation of linoleic acid. So I theorize this is all theorized. Um, it was all theoretical, but I theorize that people are going to feel better if they're using these as fasting components so that they are able to protect themselves from some of the free radicals that are spun off as we're trying to burn off this, like just terrible, you know, processed food-based body fat. Um, and there's definitely research showing that the fatty, uh, the fatty acid compounds in our adipose tissue have changed over the last like 60 years. Like things have gotten worse and we've gotten fatter, but also our fat content has changed due to the foods that we're eating. And, um, and so like there's a kind of a challenge of staying healthy while we're trying to get rid of it. And I, I, I do theorize that some of these ingredients, the two of them specifically may be quality for helping to burn that off without... Without spinning off too many free radicals.
1: Yeah, that that's a fascinating point, Mike, and and one that I would love to see more research on. But it makes total sense that like when we're uh, losing losing weight, like you're saying, either with with fasting or or dieting or what have you, that right. yeah, this these uh, rancid oils that are uh, creating um, cellular membranes and things like that 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 are getting you know, built into our cells. Uh, yeah, that can be released. And then that's certainly a, a problem from there that that these rancid oils are, are wreaking havoc on our body.
0: Yeah. What about some other stuff? Like we, you you mentioned uh coenzyme Q10, there's creatine. Yeah. I think cre- if we're gonna talk about mitochondria, you got to talk about creatine, it's about as cheap as it gets. Um, if you eat as much beef as I do, I don't know if you totally need a ton of it. But <laughs> um yeah, so yeah. I, what other ingredients are there that are pretty you know, standard on the market ingredients.
1: Yeah, and, um, well, there's, there's ones that are specific to the mitochondria, I would say like PQQ and CoQ10 mm-hmm. uh, that work along that electron transport chain and, and are very uh, helpful in terms of energy production. Uh, certainly if you're on a statin, that, that is a must to be on one or if you have heart problems, that is a must.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to your point, uh, some of the things that would affect methylation Um, like DNA methylation uh, are are wonderful wonderful to have, like creatine, like betaine. Um, I would look at some of the other methylating B vitamins, like methylcobalamin and a 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate as well. And then I like some of these ingredients. I'm really looking into kind of the NAD boosters, uh, NAD to NADH uh, ratio that happens in that um, Krebs cycle. Uh, you want to skew things more towards the NAD side of the equation. And so um, NR nicotinamide riboside has been looked at that. The, the data on it's not very compelling to me. The data is much better with uh, NMN nicotinamide uh, mononucleotide, uh, but you have to take larger doses. Um, you know, we're seeing it probably be like one to two grams. And so that's a lot higher than most people are using. Um, But there's issues with NMN with stability, um, some with bioavailability with delivery. So that's actually something we're we're looking at pretty heavily with with NMV is is coming out with one that has enhanced stability, that isn't as affected by light, heat, and moisture, and also has better bioavailability. But uh, there's another way actually doing um, intranasal NAD seems to be somewhat effective. There's not a lot of data on it. Uh, but a lot of the anecdotal data I've seen is is pretty good from people. And then IV and AD is is really good, but it makes you feel nauseous and you have to do it over about three or four hours. Hmm. It's a little bit of a brutal process. Um, Actually, uh, vitamin C helps with mitochondrial health as well. Um, That's something that I think uh, you could definitely take more of, especially during this period of time. And as you pointed out, um, ergothionine, uh, is a wonderful mitochondrial antioxidant, not just cellular antioxidant, but mitochondrial antioxidant that, that will protect the mitochondria. And we have unique machinery for in our body with the uh, ergothine transport. All
0: right, we're all right. I apologize for the delay. <laughs> okay, I apologize for breaking that up there. We uh, had a little bit of a scheduling problem, but. Um, Also, I've joined the likes of Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and Mike Pence as someone who's, if you've been watching it on YouTube, I've had a fly flying around me for too long, and I was not able to take care of it during the break. So if it comes back, I'm just going to have to swat it, Sean. Um, (laughs) So anyway, that fly is brutal. It was like five minutes. Uh, Anyway, we were talking about supplement ingredients. We were getting into creatine. You talked about betaine. I was actually going to ask about throwing, um, if we had a mitochondrial dysfunction, and The sugar just wasn't burning anymore. a sugar burner no more. Um, Can we just throw ketones at the problem? Because I was going to think about l carnitine to transport fatty acids, but also uh, can I just throw BHB and MCT at the problem or um, as a way to kind of like just try to assault some secondary fuel into the the situation? Or do I need to like get unspun first and then um, try to go for keto adaptation? Like what would be your take there?
1: I think it's both. I mean, there's that endogenous versus exogenous discussion. Like, do you impair endogenous production if you're doing exogenous? And maybe for like a period of 30 minutes to an hour you are, but you're also upregulating um the transporters, the MCT transporters, uh uh acid like transporter. Uh so you know, you're enhancing the ability to take up ketones and use them for fuel by giving more. And I think when you're in periods of low energy, like I said, you can have impaired decision-making, you can grab caffeine and candy bars and, you know, whatever. So getting ketones can help you with your longer intermittent fasting, help you with that uh, post-lunch lull that you might feel in the afternoon. And I think that's where like MCTs, and ketones could be helpful for that and they could also like get you deeper into a fast like with um you know enhanced levels of ketones so the, the they have strategic purpose i like using them um i'm a big fan of the c8 mcts which uh uh n and b has um as uh a C c8 n- to the powder yeah. And then uh, keto advantage for the active isomer of the BHB salts. Um, so that's like the R or D BHB in sodium, magnesium, and, uh, calcium. You can do potassium, but it's, it's a lower, uh, yield and it's, it's less uh, stable. So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of those. Um, I, I love using ketones and, and MCTs for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh there's definitely with mct there is a study showing that they it did seem to improve keto not keto adaptation but it seemed to bring down the amount of keto flu people were getting because yeah there's a transition point where if you're like okay this let's say you've been eating a standard american diet for a while this is clearly not working for me anymore i'm fat and i have all this energy on my body yet i don't feel energetic like there's something wrong here uh that's when it's time to try something different. And the other, the, the, the different thing outside of removing processed foods is to start to go the low carb keto route and see if your body can utilize these ketone bodies as uh, as the energy substrate instead. And there is definitely, especially for people who haven't like been in ketosis since they were, the day they were born pretty much, because they've just been fed like baby formula all the way through cereal, all the way through, you know, the garbage at the, at the, in the middle of the grocery store the rest in their entire life it seems that some people need some time to adapt to this new form of energy and that their cells or their whatever it is, um, the enzymes aren't properly upregulated yet that mitochondria aren't ready to like, to take it on. Um, it seems like there is a definite like pain point where you have to get adapted and it takes a little bit of time. And so, um, the, the one study I saw, I, I saw showed that throwing more MCTs at the problem did make the pain go be a little bit less although um for me I just I just grin and bear it usually <laughs>
1: so. yeah a lot of these ingredients are going to help with that transition if that's an issue for you uh glucovantage would help as as well sure. with, with blood sugar um and and possibly Beba, like be, because I, where you have keto flu is, is like you're saying, uh, alluding to is when there's a bigger transition to switching fuel sources. So that would be if somebody has less muscle mass and maybe isn't doing resistance training. That would be uh, when someone's less insulin sensitive. Uh, and that would be when someone hasn't done low carb or ketogenic dieting and is used to having a high carb, high glycemic diet. Uh, things like that, and you know, when they're less active, it's like they're, when you're more active, when you have more muscle mass, when you're used to doing low carb, then you're, you have a higher carb tolerance and you're also metabolically flexible. And so that'll allow like you to transition easier back and forth to these fuel sources without having as much of these flu-like symptoms, I mean, it, it's literally like a junkie coming off of, you know, cocaine or something when you're, when you're, you know, used to having so much sugar as well to, you know, reducing that to almost nothing that can be a difficult transition. So that's what I've seen.
0: It's tough. Yeah. And in those situations those are the times where um, I do support artificial sweeteners and well, if you want to be more natural, you go with the Stevie or monk fruit routes and everything. Um, but at some point you do have to realize that the sweeteners might be pushing you closer to falling off the wagon because it's still kicking up that dopamine and you're still going to want more, you know? So, um, there's, to me, there's transitionary foods and a lot of them are dietary supplements, the protein bars, a lot of stuff we work with. Um, but to me, they are bridges and snacks and like crutches on occasion, but not things to be completely relied on. And, uh, and, and I personally think that, and this is like, uh, everything everything we talk about on this channel is basically sweetened and everything but at some point it's fun to go with nothing sweet at all like just bitter and meat and stuff like that and notice that it for me it takes about 3 days for like the the wanting to go away and then things do clear up a little bit more though after that so it's 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 kind of fun and then that coffee that bitter coffee starts tasting really good at that point you don't need yeah that. so yeah, it's, it's interesting to do but we do uh, also, I'm sitting here drinking some supplement right now. So <laughs> we go both ways. It's Halloween after all.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. I, and I love, uh, I've done the carnivore diet before. And and man, like, yeah, like you're saying about three, four days in, like I was struggling to eat, period. Mm-hmm. And especially I kind of did like a, a high rendered fat kind of ketogenic carnivore mm-hmm. diets. And man, like, yeah, you you actually lose the taste for... Uh, processed food sweetened food and um man I was yeah literally struggling to eat like I ended up going into like a a five-day fast the last time I did it so um had no problem with it because I was already like you know highly ketogenic uh at that point even more than I normally am and uh but yeah these appetite hormones just plummet and it's hard it's like I I was struggling to eat sometimes
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I typically don't go full carnivore. Like what I I, I do, a very close to I call it kind of carnivore, where it is a very animal centric, high um, high meat diet, and the fats might be up or down. I, I, I cook a lot with beef tallow because I, I I'm a little bit sensitive to butter, it seems. But um, I still like my spices. I still like hot peppers. I still like bitter vegetables during those times. So I keep the asparagus, the broccoli, the Brussels sprouts, things that I know I, I react well to myself. Not everyone does because um, of the oxalates and everything inside and then i i love spicy hot peppers so like yeah. getting me to getting me to ditch my chili peppers or my chili paste and stuff like that is too big of an ask but like i'll i'll if i got to i'll go carnivore and mess around and then the um and then see, it becomes easy to modulate the salt too and then you start realizing that y- you could use salt to knock down any sweet cravings and the bitter can knock down sweet cravings so it's really interesting but at the end of the day i i I do not see like a full on carnivore diet as a long term lifestyle for me, but very close. You're not going to get garlic and sweet and hot peppers away from me. So that's that's where I'm at. But when I start working like that, you just start feeling this better control. And then the fasting becomes easier. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of naysay against fasting in terms of, again, weight loss. But there's just so many benefits of the way it makes you feel. And yeah, you can compensate for that fasting with a terrible, terrible diet on the other end of the day and blow it all apart. But once you start getting into the, that deeper level of ketosis, which, um, it seems like guys are a little bit quicker. The younger you are, it's going to probably happen faster, especially like babies and stuff. They get into keto like super fast, but the, um, men seem to seem to operate a bit quicker on it. But like, hour is 16 through 18. Like something really cool happens when you're not eating. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Like if I'm doing programming work or whatever on the site, it it's easier. It's just things click a little bit better. And I, I'm like, I'm seeing, I'm able to visualize the future of my program, not the future, but like the future of like, what's going to happen to my code faster and earlier than, um, when I am just like, sipping on like the, the post-workout carbs and everything left and right. So that's, if it's it uh,
1: falling in like little green lines, then, you know, you're
0: i am not, yeah. Never gotten the ketones that high, but maybe with some of that keto vantage BHB, uh, <laughs> RBHB, but now I, I don't like to make claims like that, but no, I definitely think that, um, that, A deep ketosis. And this is why fasting has always been so important in the spiritual realm, like getting back to where we kind of started, like some of this, you mentioned, um, like nearly every religion has fasting. And I think it's been like destroyed by like people who cheat on it and everything. But there's a reason why the, all these, all these old religions have a fasting component to them is because you get connected and you get like, you get wired in and it's, it feels incredible. And then I would, and and you could do with this information as you want, but like the prayer or the meditation then feels better too. Like, is it truly better? I, you know, I can't tell you that, but um, you definitely feel more wired in. And that's why I like to occasionally get into like this, this low, low carbohydrate diet, but then pull it even deeper with like a 16 to 18 hour fast. But Personally, I, I, I do not like to do like the crazy, like five day, multi-day fast. That is not, not up my alley, um, for, for various reasons, but I, I, shrink too much pretty much. And then I, I feel like I, I lose a little bit too much strength, which it does come back when you start eating a lot of protein, but I also just don't like to send my, this is bro science here. I don't like to send my body to signal that its owner is a bad hunter. I like to tell my body that I can get it food whenever he wants. So I have fun with it. So that's just like my bro science theory, but, uh, yeah, three day fast is pretty much the max I'll, I'll go.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And and I think uh, that's typically what I do is maybe uh, once every couple months, typically a three day fast, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's actually great for uh, mental resilience as well to let yourself know that you will not die without food,
0: Yeah, that you're right, just right.
1: fine without food, that you don't need to have food when you're sitting with friends, that you don't need to have food when you go out to the movie theater when we were doing that or, you know, these other things, all these places that we have food and consider food, a, you know, an essential part of all these uh, gatherings. And right. You, you don't need to have the food. And, and there's something about that, that, that empowers you in a in a really unique way like people think that you'll literally die if you go a day without eating. Oh,
0: you're going to the and, starvation mode. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly and and to not only not die but feel alert and, and clear and better than you normally feel. Like that's it's it's really enlightening and empowering and certainly like you said a part of that that spiritual uh, process that's been around for thousands of years.
0: Yeah, and not only that, it, it's, it's freeing because let, yeah. let's get back to like my programming example, like um, you, people call it the flow state when you get in the zone pretty yeah. much. And um, like a really good programming session or writing session or whatever jam session if you're a musician, like three hours, like you really, you know, that first hour you're kind of bubbling through things a little bit the first half hour, and then like you get going. And if you have to eat every two hours, you are going to lose so much awesome productivity. Or if your blood sugar is dropping like a tank and you have to like worry about like doing this up and down, up and down um, between hour, one one and a half to three hours but somewhere between there, you're losing like this incredible third hour of just excellence. And when you don't have to worry about food and food's not worrying about you, it's not haunting you, nothing. It's not even in the mind. You're just cruising. Uh, And you save
1: a lot of time in your day. You save yeah, so you much did. time yeah. in your day. Right. So much of your day revolves around what am I going to eat? Prepping that food, eating that food, for like putting away that food, cleaning up, you know, shopping for that food. Mm-hmm. Like literally, just you know, calling your friends like, "Hey, where are we going for food?" Like, you know, everything like your whole day is like, you know, food can be the focus of your day, and and the work uh, that you do or the things that you do with other people ends up being like the things that are fit in between the food.
0: Right. And I do you know? love cooking. Like I love the, the process of cooking and providing for the family. And, and uh, we were recently on a trip uh, with the in-laws and like, while they're all playing with our daughter, I became like kind of the, the executive chef of the weekend. I love that the whole thing of, of preparation, but on a day-to-day basis, we're trying to get work done. Um, you know, ball cooking is just, bodybuilders know this of course, but like ball cooking is, is such a huge thing because if you're spending all day long worrying about the food and cooking it and everything, you're just like, you're just less productive and we have to stay busy. So like simple hacks of just busting out the crock pot and getting a lot of good snapware and just, you know, it's okay to eat some refrigerated food that's been in there for two days. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to hurt you. And, uh, it's going to save a lot of time too, but yeah, the, the best time saver is just going on that, that intermittent fast and just not worrying about it for a while. It's, it's freeing. And some people don't even understand that. And, I do suggest that people at least try to get to that point. And you're you'll eventually once you've catered your diet towards something that's um, acceptable for that, you're going to start feeling better too. And that's where I think the mitochondria are starting to feel freed up as well. I think the freeing is a physical and kind of a mental thing.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. I totally agree. Uh now, yeah. I'm on the
0: same page. What do we disagree on, Sean? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, Mike. I think we're 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 pretty much synced up. and, and I think. Yeah, I,
0: I think my my biggest driver is though. I'm probably a little bit more pro carb than you might be. Yeah. Um, at mm-hmm. least in certain situations, but I'm probably a thousand times more anti seed oil than most people are. So, it's like very similar opinions. I just think you know. Um, we we think that there's different ends of the world. I guess.
1: <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I appreciate you you having me on and and yeah. uh, definitely want to do more videos and uh, I'm excited about this. And And Mito is, like I've said, the next keto and and I'm a, I'm a big fan of all things mitochondrial health. And anyone can hit me up uh, on my website, seanwells.com, S-H-A-W-N or at Ingredientologist on the social platforms and yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to answer any questions that uh, you guys might have and, and appreciate having me on again, thanks.
0: Right, and if you're watching and listening from the future, your book is The Energy Formula, right? Yes, There's, yes. It'll and be it The Energy Formula. A lot
1: about, yep, it'll talk a lot about mitochondrial health, a lot about my journey, how I can help you uh, exercise, nutrition, biohacking, supplementation, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it'll be energyformula.com.
0: Okay, awesome. I was gonna say, where can we sign up if we're watching not in the future and we want to get notified? Are you gonna have a little? Are you building a list over there? Or?
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, exactly.
0: Energy formula.
1: It's uh, not up it. yet. It'll oh, be, I was gonna say
0: that's I a, a nice. Stuff. Stuff. Gotcha. Good thing mm-hmm. I didn't do the screen share on that. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's a that's a nice domain you got there. All right, sweet. Well, Sean Wells, once again, thank you so much. Uh, we'll we'll have this video up and we'll be sharing it. And at Ingredientologist is where Reese Sean. And we are, of course, at Price Plow. And check out some of the articles that we'll have linked in the YouTube description where we're going to talk about uh, not just the whole mitochondria story, but also some of the ingredients that we've discussed because they kind of go in different directions, but they all work with this whole attitude around clean energy. So thanks again, Sean. And thanks, to everyone out there for watching and listening. And uh, that fly didn't come back. So I will, <laughs> I will get it. <laughs> See you later. All right. Thanks.